Shall we begin? everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of the frankly francisco podcast today i have a man who is very versatile in the things that he does he is a full-time investor in arizona and he is also part of the arizona real estate association you got <laughs> it he, you got it i was there <laughs> and he teaches uh which i don't know how he finds the time to do all this and he balances a, a podcast as well which is uh doing uh very well I'd like to introduce everybody to Michael Delpreet. How are we doing today? Wonderful, man. I really appreciate you having me on. No, man, I appreciate you coming on. I, I love speaking to people who have uh, businesses as well and are podcasters because you are in the same mode as me. You keep a full-time job and you have to do your podcast as well. So introduce yourself to my audience. We know you do real estate. I know that's a full-time mm-hmm. gig for you, but what is it, the passion that got you into doing real estate in the first place? I didn't want to be broke. Um, so <laughs> pretty much like, like, you know, um, well, obviously my wife at the time, you know, I have my wife and my son, at the time my son was like two or three years old. I was working at Verizon wireless, working in the cubicle, getting paid for 40 hours, working 50 hours. And, you know, you, you know, inside your gut, there's just that thing that's just like, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want something more. I want something different. And I, what drew the line at Verizon was when every time you want to go take a piss or whatever, you had to like punch a little dot, a box or something and it counts how much time you spend. And it was like six minutes over at the end of the month. And I got a warning shot and I was just like, you know, I got to find something else. Right. So that led me into being curious and, and looking for uh, what's next. So that's how I, I ultimately, you know, you ever watch HGTV? Yeah. Right, so you got to fix and flip shows. Yeah, yeah. Right. Making the big checks, 80 grand, 100 grand. Everyone loves that. We all love those numbers. You get to break a wall and you make money. So um, I went down that world. Like, how do I get in? How do I be that? Like those guys. So what made you do Arizona, though? I mean, with all the other states that are out there, there, you know, I mean, there are some states where the real estate is going to be a lot higher. Um, and, you know, Arizona has their issues with, you know, drought as well. They have their own monsoon season. Um, how did Arizona become the focal point for your business and where you wanted to focus being in real estate? Oh, so there was no, no, no method, man. I live here. <laughs> it was my backyard. And it was like, I'm trying to figure out this new thing that I don't even think is real. And I don't even, I'm probably not the type of person. I don't have the, I don't have a license of any sort. I don't have the education. I don't got the family. I don't got the money. I don't got the credit. Like who am I to want to be a real estate investor? Right. So that, so I just figured out how to do it, but I just did it in my backyard. So essentially you just yourself taught in doing what you're doing right now. 100%. So did you, uh, did you eventually take classes and get your license uh, to do what you're doing? Well, no license, right? Um, wow. So the, for people that want to get into the investing world, there are no licenses. Like when when you first hear license in real estate, you think real estate agent. So that's a salesperson. They they sell houses for homeowners, right? So that's that component. But in in the investing world, we're looking for like rental property properties, like landlords, fix and flippers. There's what's called wholesalers. There's uh, multifamily people that buy small apartment buildings. Right. So there's many you can lend money like a hard money lender. There's so many different aspects. Uh, you just got to get the education um, to do it. There is no licensing. 
So how now the, the big question is 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 funding. It's always come down to funding, people being able to get the money together. Now, have you used uh big pots? Has people invested in with you and you've gotten properties that way as well and turned around and flipped them and made your buyers some money? Or you do this all on your own where you're the one who's investing the money, buying the property, flipping it yourself, or fixing it and renting it. What is the method to your madness when it comes to this? All right. So um there's an acronym. It's called ideal, right? Real estate is an ideal investment, right? And there's these five letters I can go over if you want. Um, but what I'm, I used other people's money. So it's all the L and ideal is leverage. So other people's money, other people's properties, other people's resources, other people's knowledge, other people's everything, right? So I, I would probably say 90% of the deals that I've done, whether it's a flip or a rental, I used other people's money. So when you hear no money to get into real, like I, I buy houses with no money. It, yes, sounds crazy, right? Like, ah, whatever. It's totally true. Because for instance, um, you said you're in the banking world, right? So you probably see clients that um, maybe high income earners, doctors, engineers, whatever. They're like, I got cash sitting in the bank and I'm paying all these taxes or they have a self-directed IRA, right? And they have money sitting there and they're, they're allowed to make the decisions they defer their taxes down the road, so they have a couple hundred grand in an IRA that they can work. But they they don't have the time. They're they're a doctor, right? They're fixing people. So to go out and learn real estate and flip houses or buy rental properties, they want an operator. So someone like myself. So we joint venture. So they'll put up the money. I'll do the work. I mean, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. I mean, it, when people are in, in high net worth uh, jobs and it's like doctors, lawyers, you know, you have people in corporate America, you have these CEOs, they don't have time to go mm -hmm. get their hands dirty and, and and do all that. But this is where you come in. This is the service you provide, which is a good thing because everybody wins with this. You provide them a service, you make your money off this as well. And it spreads word of mouth as well, because if you're doing a good job, that high income individual is going to say, Hey, I have another high income individual that's going to mm -hmm. need your help. Agree. So word of mouth can be the biggest thing, especially in the in the real estate business or just especially in, in business altogether. You don't necessarily have to put, you know, thousand dollar ads out there. Old school, man. I, you know, mm -hmm. hit the ground running, you know, get your, you know, shake hands, kiss babies, do whatever you have to do to get out there and get it done. It seems like that's what you're doing. Exactly. Like I it's especially in real estate, you know, especially if you're dealing with people's money, your reputation's huge, doing what you say you're gonna do. Just the doing the right things, man. There's no like magic pill or secret sauce or whatever it is. It's just like if you do good, but you're good at you're 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 good at what you do, right? And you do what you say you're gonna do, and you'll do it over and over again. Like you said, the word spreads. So let me know in all the years you've been doing this, okay? What has been the biggest pain point for you for this business? Because there has to be something. Things don't go smoothly all the time. Biggest pain point. Well, there's different layers to investing, but so it's usually wow, good question. Um, a pain point. I would say sometimes it could be a flow of deals, right? Because the money's out there, right? Some people think, oh, I can't. It, the money's the hard part, but money's probably actually the easier part. It's because what we do in order to add value, we need to find a pro a problem property, right? Sometimes we we say we don't look for properties, we look for problems. So you want you need a property that's distressed, um, like I said, HGTV, those beat up house. Those actually the the strategy of wholesaling, those fix and flippers buy the properties from the wholesalers who go out and find the fire damaged house, the flooded house, 
the the pack rat type house, right? So um, you need to find those. And not everybody needs to sell their house at 50 cents on the dollar, right? But they're out there. So that's the work. So always having access to a deal that's profitable uh, could be a pain point. So in Arizona, especially in Arizona, you know, it's it's a desert. You know, Arizona's a it's just a big old desert out there. So how do you do you find houses off the beaten path? Do you find houses because there's people that own property out in the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Do you tend to find those houses are easier to get your hands on because they're further away? Or is it easier for you to get the houses that are localized where there's more people around? Awesome. So it, it it's Yes, usually what we call submarkets or tertiary markets, meaning you're outside of the main city, right? So yes, those can be easier to find and get a, a good deal, but the back end pain point of that would be there's less buyers or there's less people to – if you're in a flipper and you're always looking for that family that has a bank loan that wants to come in and live there forever, there's less of those people for the flippers. Or if you're a landlord, there's less – people wanting to rent or it might be may, it might be harder to rent out or maximize your rents or get you know enough rents to cover your mortgage or whatever but you can usually find the deal in those markets but here in the city yes it could be it would be harder to their deals are still there mm-hmm. no matter what they're always there someone's going through a problem sometimes the you it's it sounds crazy but it's american dream to own a house it's your biggest purchase of your life there's all these things we say but th- there's people out there that the house is more of a headache. They'd rather have a, a better quality of life than deal with that house because they inherited it or something crazy happened. So they're still here in the city. So one thing I want to say, where are you from? Where are you at right now? So uh, I'm in South Carolina right now. South Carolina. All right. I'm from Connecticut. So I'm from the back east. So when I, when, when I'm I from the of- east as well, I, I was born and raised in New York city, lived in Ohio for 20 years too. And then we moved down here five years ago. So I got lucky when I brought my house, I only paid 170 at the time. And my interest rate is great. It's in the, the low threes. Um, yeah. Now the house is uh, triple what it's worth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I believe it 100%. House, and remember this, for people, houses double every 10 years, give or take, right? There's going to be ups and downs. But if you're a landlord and you're keeping the property forever, doesn't matter if your house is underwater. Eventually, it's going to come back up. Um, but just to touch on the desert thing, when I was uh, in Connecticut and I was moving here, I was thinking, cowboys and desert. <laughs> so it was like... Like there's a lot of desert here. However, Phoenix, major metropolitan man, we're a booming city. Uh, anything any ma- major city uh, it has, because I know if you're not from here, you probably you're probably thinking the same thing, right? Just horses and uh, cactus. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I I mean I know it, it. They have I know there's an expensive area. What where is it at? It's next to Phoenix, Scottsdale. The, those yeah. are million dollar properties over there oh, easily. Yeah. You have a lot of multimillionaires that live out there because because of the weather. It's close to situated to Vegas, mm-hmm. California. It's easy to get to, and you don't have to pay those taxes that you would you would have to pay in in California. Now, here's my question to you. I know you deal with houses. I know you flip with houses. Let's talk about a little bit of the land, though. So, have you run into a situation where if you brought actual property, the land itself, and flipped it to sell it for development? Because I know in real estate, that's a big thing too. It's it's having the actual property, or you just try to stay away from that and just deal with the actual the domiciles that are on the land. Got it. So um, majority of my career has been dealing with single family houses, right? However, as a wholesaler, when what that means is you find the property at a discount and you sell it at a discount. So I find the person that wants to uh, sell their property cheap. I get it under contract 
and then I sell the interest in my contract to the actual fix and flipper or buyer. I never actually buy the house. I just make the split in the middle. Um, but I dev- I've done that with land, yes. So uh, whether it's on the outskirts of town or or infill lots, what we call in in the city, uh, like a parcel, ten thousand square foot parcel. Yes, have I got those under contract and resold those? Yes. Um, now in in majority of the country and definitely Phoenix, where there's a low supply of housing, so there's more people than houses, and we need more. So. Now we're in a uh, a time where it's easier to sell land. And ten years ago, no one cared for the land. So, but now people are developing those lands. So yes, it's more it's going to be it's more uh, active now in my world, and probably going to be like that for a while. But a place like Phoenix is densely populated. So I mean, you're, you, there's always going to be a need for housing in a place like mm-hmm. that. But my question is: is in certain areas, are you buying houses? In every area. And I'm not just talking about the high end area. I'm talking about low end area. I'm talking about areas that, you know, it, it, it crime ridden. It's, you know, areas where it's not the the people are not the richest and don't have the funds. Are you picking and choosing or are you getting the best available that's to you so you can turn around and, and flip it? So it depends where I'm marketing. So I will probably say 80% of my business has been in the toughest areas in phoenix oh especially when i got started so you got to imagine a time uh i don't know if you remember at all but like foreclosures flooded the market right so you as a, a fast cash buyer fix and flipper landlord you go to the auction tons 2000 2005 built houses at that time 10 years ago was brand new practically so it's like you could buy these new houses for 40 50 grand in phoenix 10 less than 10 years old and four bedrooms, two baths. Why would you go to a tough neighborhood, block construction, 1950s, 60s, 70s built, um, or a condo, two bedroom houses, three bedroom, one bath houses? Like no one cared for those. So I jumped into those, um, not strategically, just by accident. But there's also was a buyer for there's a buyer in every type of uh, class neighborhood, right? You just got to find them. So yes, I've done those, those neighborhoods for sure. So, I mean, you're saying 80% has come from those areas, but I think that's, you found your, your niche where your success is coming from. Cause those houses, you know, people are, there's some people who want to get the high end stuff and hit the home run. They don't understand singles and doubles add up too. You know what I mean? That's all it is. It, right. Singles and doubles add up. Everybody wants to hit the home run, but they don't realize, you know, you keep hitting those singles and that's going to add up to runs. You know, especially in a, like I said, in an area like Phoenix, where there's is densely populated, you have a bunch of people there. The housing is is always going to be a need. Now, everybody has competition, okay? And I'm sure you have people who are in the same business that you're doing. Mm-hmm. But what do you feel like your skill set has let you stand yourself apart from everybody else in the business that you're in right now? Um, like we talked about earlier, reputation, doing what you say you're doing. That's that's number one, right? Um, and I'll say networking, connecting, um. I would probably say almost half of my deals come from my phone, man. Texting, following up with people, connecting with people, keeping in touch, uh, building those relationships and those bonds. And, and and as you connect and grow and someone's – a lot of people come and go in the business, but you build those long-term relationships where it's like you just have that inside of access to those people that are always doing transactions and you're doing transactions. You're giving each other first shot of deals. You're making money. They're making money and it just grows. You're referring them connections to grow their business. They're referring people to you. It's just that, that I would say the networking and the community, you know, work building those relationships 
So do you find do you find yourself going to conventions, uh, real estate conventions? Do you find yourself going to gatherings like this to to get networking parties? You know, in in the field that I'm in, in the finance, you know, we have <laughs> we have uh, networking events that we go to where we meet people from different banks, uh, different pe- people in different parts of financing. Does the real estate business do the same thing? Oh, that's all this. So, so right here behind me. So ASRIA, the Arizona Real Estate Investors Association, we've been around for 21 years. I'm executive director, and we hold 15 networking events a month. Um, wow. Almost 200 a year after we add it all up. We had over 6,000 people come through our doors just in Phoenix. Okay. Um, so, so yes, it's all relationships in real estate investing. Uh, and ironically, this morning, there's some called the IMN Single Family Forum Conference. It comes to it goes to New York, Miami, LA, and Phoenix uh, throughout the year. And I was actually a panelist on that this morning. So they came to town. So there's a few thousand people there. Um, I And it's a whole nother realm of people, not local. They're out of state, but it's like different relationships, man. Like it's all relationships and networking. So when another flipper, like when another investor like yourself and the flipper comes to you, do you guys pass information on to each other? Let's say they have a piece of property, but they're not interested in it. They might you know, say they're not going to get anything off of it, but they, they, as a courtesy, they're passing it on to you, uh, you know, because you might turn around and do the same thing. Is that big in the field that you're in right now? All the time. Yeah. It, it's like, there'll be, they'll like a fix and flip. Like, so fix and flippers, they're, they're known to move fast, buy houses, cash. If it's a good deal, they'll move on it less than 10 days. Right. So me, if I, if a deal comes up, comes up, um, I call them so they can, I can assign it to them or, or do that, do wholesaling. Right. Um, but what happens is those cash buyers sometimes, or excuse me, those fix and flippers are like, "Hey, Mike, I can't buy this one right now. Someone sent me a deal because they know I could, I could. They get they get deal flow sent to them because they're known to be reliable buyers. So what happens is fix and flippers will call me and be like, "Hey, you want this property? I can lock it up right now. You know, lock it up meaning get the contract and control it. Um, and then I will pay them. Like either a they'll just it's such a good relationship. They're just like, "Hey, do what you got to do." When you find a deal, make sure I get first shot. You know, it's like that type of stuff. So it's like, yeah, all the time. They could still make money. They can assign it to me, and then I will assign it to the next person. But I think that's awesome, though, because, you know, in business like this, real estate or any any kind of business where people are doing the same thing, it's a lot of cutthroat stuff that goes on, man. People are not – they're not in it – a lot of people are not in it to help you. A lot of people are not in it to network. People don't understand. You don't get where you need to go without having – people without knowing yeah, people. people it's who you know it's not what you know a lot of the time uh and by having those connections it broadens your horizon when it comes to business which is always always a good thing now tell me a little bit about the podcast uh i mean i don't know where you find the time to do this uh, <laughs> you know uh your target audience for the podcast who who is a target audience that you're looking for when you're doing these shows got it so it's the Ezria show um so it's real estate investing, and I would say it's it's just more of a light surface show. Um, we the the main focus is like because we're in Arizona, so we we interview everyone we can that provide that's a real estate investor. So all walks of life, from lending money to flipping to landlording to wholesaling to notes to multifamily. We get anyone in the real estate investing business, especially our members. A lot of successful members that are active in the business. So we try to get like member spotlights. So it's mainly to people that like want to learn. It's more of like a introductory to investing. So if you're curious as to what it is and how it works, we we dive in and go just like you're doing with me right now, just with other types of investors doing different types of strategies. Then we'll do the member spotlights and then we'll bring in real estate service providers. So 
It's not just the person doing the investing. You want to talk to the insurance company. Like in Arizona, ins- insurance rates have went up 37%. Wow. Um, so what, that that helped that hurts your bottom line at some way. Like your monthly payments, your you know sometimes they're even denying insurance. So you need to know this when you're going into buying a property somewhere that hey my insurance is going to be higher. Uh, they might deny me, right? So, um, so things like that. So insurance, attorneys, title companies, you name it. If they provide a service in our world, they've been interviewed. Hey, listen, be lucky you're not in Florida right now because all the insurance companies have pulled out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, you, you I, need to know that. You need to know that stuff because, you know, people want to buy investment properties down in Florida and realize if the hurricane comes through, you're literally going to have to sue the insurance company to pay you out to get to get the repairs done. Um, yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, my region is Florida. I actually deal with my clients down in Florida and you mm-hmm. wouldn't believe the fraud that goes on there when it comes to, when it comes on to, to property down there. Now, do you offer a course? Cause you said you teach, do you offer a course for this, for what you do to teach other people how to get this done? Yeah. So back to Ezria, there, our association. Um, so we have one networking groups, like I said, 15 or so a month. Then we also do specialized training workshops. Sometimes they're they're always in person. We also stream them. Um, and then so we have those specialized workshops. So I teach those workshops. It's not just me. We have a large group of people that help and we call subgroup leaders. Um, and yes, and then we also we have like a online courses and stuff like that that you can buy. We're grow, we're growing that. We have a wholesale course and a fix and flip course, a mobile home course, and we're really rolling mobile out, home. Yeah, mobile home, man. Great, especially in places where it's not affordable. Like it's right out here in Arizona, it, mobile homes are hot, man. Yeah, I, you know what? To me, I find that uh, curious and interesting because mobile homes don't tend to hold their value. Um, you can it take it costs you more. You can buy a mobile home cheap. It costs you more to move it than it does to buy it. And a lot of chances. <laughs> True. Yeah, like you know, we're, you don't want to really. I guess there's two ways of looking at mobile homes. You could buy them in a park. Mm-hmm. And pay lot rent. So you own the mobile home. Yes, if you get kicked out, you got to pull that thing out or get charged. Um, or especially in here, here in Arizona, there's a lot of subdivisions, subdivisions that have been developed with you own the land. So you, it's just like owning a house, but you just have a mobile home on it and you affix it. So you get it registered. So technically a mobile home is considered a car. So, But when you get it affixed to the land, now it's considered a single family home, but it's you know still mobile, right? So um, those can be more valuable because you have that ownership of the land and um, and they do lose a little value if they were I forget I think the day was 1976 if they're made before then a lot of people won't lend on them so the values stay low but if it's above 76 they'll lend on them so there's more more buyer pool so there's more opportunity to sell it so they're more valuable. Listen, I was looking for a mobile home when we first got here. We were looking at double wide. Uh, some of yeah. these double wides are, are better than a house. Four bedrooms, three baths. I mean, the thing was massive, but mm-hmm. it was like $250,000, but it was no land attached to it. It was just the actual mobile home itself. Uh, so we yeah. were able to find the property. I, I brought it. I'm on an acre right now with a brick home. You know what I mean? Four Love bedrooms, it. two baths. So I got lucky when I brought my property because after I brought my property, things started skyrocketing. Right Perfect. now, have you... F- has the interest rate affected anything that you're doing right now within the business? So where that would affect real estate investors is if you're like, you're a fix and flipper, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you, you look at the end in mind, right? The end person buying this currently ugly house, soon to be pretty is a family, right? So now if interest rates, when they doubled, a lot of people get scared and back out. So now the the buying pool it shrinks again. 
so which your house might sit on the market or the price might drop. So in that way, yes, it affects us in that way. And as in the, and from the landlord perspective, um, it, it it hurts you because like if you're buying the house cash and you want to refinance and get your money back, now your your mortgage payments practically doubling, right? So now your cash flow might not be there. A lot of people got you know got caught stuck in a hard money loan. Or something, right? You buy it in a distressed situation where Bank of America type banks won't lend on it. So you got to pay cash or hard money. You go in there, fix it up, clean it up, and then you go refi and get your money back. But now the interest rates are higher. So now the the cash flow doesn't work anymore. So you're stuck with it, right? So until things change and you, you know, maybe rates go down. So it's affected us in those ways. Now, redlining still happens. I don't care what anybody says. It's still still an epidemic when it comes to neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Now, have you found in, in, in distressed neighborhoods that you've bought in your houses from, because you said 80% comes from those type of areas, yeah. have you found, has redlining affected the sales of the property for you to make income? Um, so it's, when I look at, so I want to make sure I'm clear. So I know what redlining is like discrimination and stuff with, am I am on the right track? Yes. It's, it's okay. essentially it's when they, when the value of the houses are are deemed lower because of the class of people that lives in the neighborhood. So poor neighborhoods, they tend to redline those neighborhoods. They tend to charge higher, um, higher fees on homes and higher percentages on on the interest. Um, they used to do this all the time, and it still happens in certain areas. Have you found that to be an issue for you, or is it? it it's been pretty much consistent the entire time that you've been uh, doing your investing and flipping. Yeah. So that yeah, I don't control like interest rates for what I do as an investor. Mm-hmm. I buy the house cash. It's already vacant, beat up. No one lives in there, so there's no one involved, right? So I buy the house cash, and then if it's a flip, we we renovate it and then resell it. Basically, when I have no like, when it comes to the loan, it's that the person that wants to potentially buy it, they're dealing with their lender and getting a rate. That has nothing to do with me as a as the owner of the house, so I can't speak on what happens there. Um, and then when the way we price the house is we what's called comping and comparables. So the the way I would price it is what has your na- what has the neighbors in the same house in the same condition at the same size what are the neighbors paying for that house and we price the house at that price or maybe drop it down just a little bit to be competitive so it's appealing. Um so in my world um I don't have any control over any of that how that works. And me as a landlord in those neighborhoods I do Section 8 housing, so I just put it out at market rents, and the vouchers come in. I pick the person that we want to choose that passes the uh, – whatever we call the inspection of so to work, and uh, then I deal with Section 8, and Section 8 pays us. So, um, yeah. Yeah, my old boss, uh, one of my old bosses that used to work back in, in Cleveland, he does that as well. He has like 25 houses, and I think 20 of them are, are Section 8 houses. And he tells me that they you have to pass the government inspection, you know, in mm-hmm. order for, for the yeah, houses we'll... to be deemed that. So do you have an outside source? Or do you try to do some of that stuff for yourself, or you just hire an outside contract to get that work done for you? Yeah, so when you're like, hey, how do you have all this time? It's people, right? So it's like um, when it comes to the uh, your contract, I don't swing a hammer. I don't manage the property. Right. Um, so when it comes to the property manager does all the evaluations of everything or the agent, um, when it comes to uh, what else we got going on, like the podcast, right? We have a videographer, an engineer, and, the, and then you have the VA doing the clips. So it's like, so yeah, that all that stuff, there's, there's service providers that, that help out. 
Listen, I, listen, I'm not going to knock you at all for having, I do everything myself. I, I, I get I edit, it. Sound, everything, you know, it, it's a blessing. It's when a you're able to, it is. It's a blessing when you're able to get a lot of the stuff done and you have the team around you to get it done. Cause it gives you, it makes a better product. It really does. You know, for someone like me, I do all this stuff on my own and I still, I still believe I put out a good product. It's just not as crisp as yours. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the, it's, it's sometimes you just, it takes a while to get the levels that we need to get to. Exactly. And, you know, I want to learn. So like you, I'm learning from you right now, you know, that you do need a team around. You do need people that's able to make your life a little bit easier. There's a cost to everything. But at the end of the day, if you can put out a better product that people are going to want to see, keep their eyes on and, and going to want to listen. I mean, you're averaging 2000 downloads an, an episode of what you're doing. So that means something is working for you. The product you put out is quality, which is a good thing. Um, where can people so find can you? I, can I, yeah, yeah. Can I touch on that really quick? Yeah. Or, yeah. No, no. Yeah. So it's like I, we've all been there. Right. So especially like I said um, I've learned every, I've always do everything the hard way first. Right. So it's like, um, you know, the quotes, it's like, um, if you can't get it, if you can't do it right, do it yourself kind of stuff. Right. So I've always been, I still, I'm still like that at uncertain things. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, like you said, levels to this, right. So it's like when I first started, yeah, my social media editing, recording everything, but what I've came to learn once I like, you know, cut the check to pay someone, you know what I mean? So you do what you have to do at first to get things done. Then you get a little bit of momentum, right? By taking that, you learn a couple things. But like you, you're an interviewer, right? That's like that's obviously what you're great at doing. Not saying you can't edit and do all this other stuff, but like, where's your time best spent, right? So it's like editing these videos. Maybe you get a sponsor. Maybe you get so something do commercial or something, right? And like use that money to get the VA, and then it's like. Now you're saving time. Now you can do better interviews or put more focus if you need to. Well, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. That, that's what I kind of tried. I'm trying. I've been doing and trying to do better. <laughs> I mean, it's a learning progress. Most podcasters really don't be uh, really are not successful years into what they're doing. You know what I mean? It, it, and a lot of it has to do with who's your audience. With me, you never hear me cuss on my show. You never, you know, I never stop anybody from being themselves. But you mm -hmm. never know who's listening. And I. You know, True. I want to be as professional as I can when I'm on the microphone and I want to give the best experience to my guests as I can, because like I said, it's word of mouth. You know, you could say, hey, it was a great interview. I got somebody that you may want to interview. And, and that's how it goes. I, you know, I get that a lot. That's how I've gotten a lot of my my interviews is word of mouth. People say, man, mm -hmm. he was a great interview. Go to him. I don't try to antagonize my guests. A lot of people try to do things for clout. I don't. I want to get to the bottom of what makes you great at what you do. And I want you to give that experience to people because it's something they can learn from. And if they're learning something, it's it's worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I read? I'm going to read you something real quick here. Uh, no, no, you're, you're just on the I think if you're just consistent and um, authentic, yeah, some people, you know, do this crazy stuff to be viral or whatever. I, I'm, I rather just step by step, day by day, um, do everything you just said. And I, got, I read this quote here. Um that I'm going to put on my wall here at the office, but I can't seem to find where I put it. Now I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> no, um, you're fine. Oh, here it is. So writers, artists, musicians, and entrepreneurs, we most admire have the courage to choose meaning over mass, meaning over mass appeal, conviction over reassurance, purpose over popularity, depth over reach, friends over followers and inspiration over influence man like that's, that's an awesome quote right you know what i'm saying like just if you could do that <laughs> and do everything we said today in this podcast it'll work out 
So let my audience know where they can find you. Uh, when is your podcast? What days do your podcast come out? Um, and where can they get uh, some more information on your course? Yeah, man. Um, so the Azria Show, our podcast, obviously all podcast platforms in YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, we're trying to grow that. So it's YouTube at Azria, A-Z-R-E-I-A. Our website is azria.org. I mean, um, Arizona underscore Ria is our Instagram. You know, just look up Azria. You'll find us, um, Arizona Real Estate Investor Association. Uh, follow us, subscribe, um, appreciate it. And just look into what we have, man. If it's fit for you, follow along. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Listen, you, you're a plethora of knowledge when it comes to the industry that you're in. And if you can pass that knowledge on to people, pass it on. Yes. It's always good to to learn. There's always going to be a need for for homes. There's always going to be a need for houses to be fixed up and you know, sold. It, that's the way the, the world is. And that's the way it's always been. Now the prices are always going to change. It's never going to be, you know, what it was. And, but people adjust, we always do. That's we're survivors out here. This is, this is how life is right now. You know, before it cost you $60 for, for a whole month worth of groceries. Now it's costing you $300 for the same amount of groceries you brought a few years ago, but we, we adjust, you know, and we do the best we can. I'm going to leave you with what I leave everyone with. If you found your purpose, live it, which you have, you found your purpose. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I'd love to have you on again at some point. Uh, yeah. I think what you provide is great. I mean, it's great insight into, into the business and, and it doesn't matter what state you're in. I yeah. mean, real estate is flipping is flipping, you know, investing is investing. If you have the keystrokes about it and you just, you have the core of what it is, I, I think most people can be successful no matter what state they're in. They just oh, have yeah. to be willing to learn. Learn is key. And and if I could end it on, you know, being on, social media and when you're watching everyone you know it's very easy to look at the cars the watches the, the whatever it is right it's like how can i be like that oh my god it's, a, it's such a long journey it's going to be a long journey but don't get wrapped up in all that buy one house like just financial literacy is not even out there right so it's like yeah just learn how to buy one house if you even if it was like one a year one every other year like it, that one house will change the trajectory of your life for you and your family so don't get wrapped up i need 100 units i need to make 100 grand a month like that's great let's just go for it but start if that's not you one house man just don't don't overlook it just look into buying one house so i want to thank you folks for tuning in um you know, this, these are the type of interviews I love doing because it's teaching moments for people. You know, some people will, will take it in, soak it in and be inspired by it. Some people won't, but if we can help one person turn things around for themselves and be successful, it's, it's always worth it. So again, thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Thank you folks. Have a good night.